0: Hi, folks. My name is Cameron Riley. Um, Let me let me start. Well, so the topic of my session today is going to be about how to make money out of podcasting. Uh, And let me start by giving you a quick uh, potted history of my podcasting background. I started podcasting in late two thousand and four, November two thousand and four, I think. And uh, it was with uh, the podcast called G'day World. It was actually the very first ever Australian podcast. And uh, a couple of months after that, in February 2005, uh, I was one of the co-founders of the podcast network, the world's first podcast network that uh, I ran as CEO for the next three or four years. And uh, that was an interesting experience. So that was sort of from early 2005 to late 2008. And uh, I think at our peak, we had 100 podcasts in production on the network. We had an audience of about 500,000 monthly listeners, as far as we could tell at the time, because we didn't have the stats packages that we do today. And even the stats packages that we have today are are fairly... uh, Rough and ready, I think, in terms of their uh, ability to count listeners, but uh, and and we were generating money at the time through advertising, as you would expect, and most of it was coming out of the US because most, of, even though I'm based in Australia, I used I, at the time I was in Melbourne. Now I'm in Brisbane. Most of our audience then as now uh, was coming out of the US. At least fifty-five to sixty-five percent of the audience was in the US. So we had. Mostly uh, advertisers coming out of the US. Then the global financial crisis hit in 2008 and literally within about a month, all of our advertisers disappeared. Uh, And that was exciting because we had uh, infrastructure and servers and, and, and back then, which is what, seven years ago, uh, it, it was a lot more expensive to run a podcasting server and handle all of the bandwidth and all of that kind of stuff than it is today, so we had we had a bit of a burn rate and and it all disappeared overnight. but I was a full time podcaster running a full time podcast network for three or four years and uh, when that when the gfc hit i I um, sort of shut it down or put it into hibernation, I guess for uh, the next uh, four or five years and went and did other things. Uh, I run a marketing agency by day and I I, I did some other stuff. Ran a cigar lounge for a couple of years, which was fun. That's another story. A story for another day. But then uh, about two years ago, I uh, got back into podcasting as a serious venture. I'd done bits and pieces, obviously, over that time, but... I got back into it as a business uh, a couple of years ago, and um, these days I run two main podcasts, uh, The Life of Caesar and The Life of Alexander the Great. History podcasts, uh, I kind of was one of the first history podcasters going back in sort of 2005 or early 2006. I started a series on uh, Napoleon Bonaparte with my friend J. David Markham, and that was I think, as far as I'm aware, the first linear history podcast to ever been done. We did about uh, sixty episodes, telling the linear story of the life and career of Napoleon Bonaparte, and uh, that that was quite uh, successful. A lot of people enjoyed that. I know that a lot of history podcasters uh, that was one of the first history podcasts that they listened to and inspired them to go and, and pursue their own history podcasts and different subjects and. I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. So a couple of years ago, we kicked, uh, my, my, my co-host, uh, Ray Harris, who's based in Virginia in the United States, and I started the Life of Caesar show. And from the get-go, um, I was determined to turn it into something that would be a, a business, a profitable exercise. And so what I thought I'd do today is uh, sort of talk you through my thinking over the last couple of years about how to monetize podcasts uh, in 2015, and um, share with you our experiences because today, uh, we, you know, we do generate a fairly reasonable income out of our podcasts and uh, it's it's been an interesting process of uh, trial and error. Let me take you through what I think the basic principles are if you're going to try and monetize a podcast. You've got, you know, two basic options, I guess. Um, this isn't rocket science. You can do it via advertising or you can do it via audience uh, subscription or audience donations or merch. Uh, Obviously, the advertising thing uh, I've had some experience with, it worked reasonably well back then. But uh, these days, I I think it's tricky for a number of reasons. Uh, One of the problems I've always had with advertisers uh, is that, obviously, with a podcast, you have a global audience. And it's very difficult if you want to sell your own advertising to find uh, advertisers that want to reach a global audience or can fulfill a global audience. Typically, you know, you have your marketing managers for Geography A, Geography B, Geography C. They're not really interested in overlap. Uh, now, you can rely on the the um, stamps.com and try and get into that sort of a deal, but they're really only interested in Typically, advertisers are. I guess you can break them down into two main categories: the ones that are interested in very, very large reach, and let's face it, ninety-nine point nine percent of podcasters aren't going to have that sized audience. Typically, the podcasts that have that size audience are those that are, um, you know, celebrities, name brands that that uh, you, know, you're Mark Marins, you, Kevin Smiths, that already have a name brand before they get into podcasting. And there's a handful of podcasts, you know, that, that, that can build audiences of that size. And that's gonna, you know, advertising is a, is a legitimate opportunity for those. But I'm assuming that most of you listening to this don't fall into that category. The um, other kind of advertiser is those that are after a, a smaller, but highly niche demographic. Back in the early uh, podcast network days, by the way, the name of my podcast network was The Podcast Network, TPN. Uh, site's still up, well, uh, although we we don't even have the archives up there anymore, long story. But, um, you know, we the, the most successful podcast in terms of advertising revenue that I had from that 2005 to 2008 period was... Uh, A show on digital photography, we had a lot of lens manufacturers and and, and photo manipulation software providers that were prepared to spend big to reach our audience. And um, so if you have a product, if you have a podcast that's around a category of product where you develop a small but highly niche audience, you might be able to directly go and approach those sorts of advertisers. And there's podcasters, obviously, that already do that successfully today. However... Again, for most of us, that may not be an opportunity. Um, you know, the sort of history podcasting that we do today, not a lot of advertisers want to reach people that are interested in Julius Caesar or, or, or Alexander the Great. So that leaves us with how do you get your audience to pay to listen to your podcast? And my thinking on this when we started our new shows was that, uh, you know, people are reluctant to pay for anything online that they can get for free. I know I am. Uh, if I can get it for free, I, I will. Uh, in order for me to to part with my money, and, and it's not just the money, it's the the inconvenience of having to sign up for something, get a password, you know, hand over your credit card or your PayPal details. The uh, trivial inconveniences, there's an economic theory that somebody was t- telling me about a while ago, the, the economic theory of trivial inconveniences, it, it takes a lot to get people to do that. Particularly, you know, you imagine most people listening to your podcast, uh, listening maybe in the car or on, on public transport or they're going for a jog or a walk, and you say, hey, give me some money. It, it's usually not very convenient for them to do that in the minute while they've got their iPhone or their other device uh, in their back pocket plugged into the car. So, you know, you're you're requiring them to remember to do that, something they don't want to do, i.e. give you money, at some later point when they're at their computer uh, and they have the time and the ability to go through the process. It's going to take a few minutes at the very best to, to leave you money. So it's a big ask. So in order to get people to do that, you have to create a really unique product, and I think that's where it starts. You have to create a podcast that people can't live without. They, they they are prepared to part with their cash and go through the effort of signing up because if this podcast wasn't in their lives anymore, they, it would be um, a sad affair for them. You know, they may do it because they like you and they want to support you because they think you're a swell human being. That obviously isn't going to uh, 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 get me very far because I'm not that nice. So my thinking from the outset is we we wanted to design something that um, would be uniquely compelling. Now, there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. How do you create one that is so unique that people can't live without it? It's, it's it's not an easy question to answer. Now, as I said before, my day job, what I should be doing now instead of talking to you about podcasting because it's the middle of the day here in Brisbane, is I run a marketing agency and I write marketing strategies for businesses, my clients. And, yeah, obviously the first question quite often when you're writing a marketing strategy is what is your unique value proposition? What sets you apart from everyone else that's selling the same product or the same service that you are? And most of my clients, when I first meet them, struggle to give me a credible answer to that question. They usually say something like, well, we're really good. Yeah, but everyone's going to say that. Well, we we, we really care about our customers. Sure, but everyone's going to say that. So (laughs) what is an objective thing that you can put forward that makes you different? Same with podcasting. Now, you know, a lot of podcasts that I see out there are very, very samey. It's, uh, you know, particularly, let me simply talk about history because that's what I know about. Most of the history podcasts that exist uh, consist of one person reading uh, a carefully written script, taking you through the story of that particular era that they want to discuss. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. Some people do an excellent job of it. Um, You know, your Dan Carlin's and um, your your Mike Duncan's and people like that with their history podcasts are are excellent and they're they're incredible talents and they generate very healthy incomes, as I understand it, uh, from their podcasts. Jamie Jeffers, I think, another one. But, you know, so if you're going to go do a podcast – and, and you do the same thing that they're doing, it's very hard to set yourself apart from everybody else, particularly if, if if you're doing a subject, a historical subject in my case, that other people have done. I wasn't the first person to come up with a podcast about Julius Caesar. I was the first person to do it on Napoleon, but uh, not on Caesar. So you have to do it differently. If, you, if you're not going to have a unique subject, and let's face it, most podcasts out there, aren't about a unique subject, unless you know something that nobody else knows. Uh, You're just another Star Wars podcast or Doctor Who podcast or or, or football podcast or or news or music or whatever your genre is that you want to talk about. Another marketing podcast. There's a million of them. If you're going to differentiate yourself from everyone else, one can be the subject, but that's going to be hard. One can be your level of insight or expertise, and it may be that you are just more brilliant than everybody else and you, only you can be the judge of that. It may be that your uh, style of delivery, your talent is far superior to everyone else's. And again, only you can be the judge of that. And, you know, when I was thinking about what I was going to do in my second time out with podcasting, I, I didn't think that I could check any of those boxes. I, I, I'm, I couldn't pick a unique subject. Uh, I'm not smarter than anybody else. I didn't have any unique insights. I don't have a degree in history or specialty in this particular period or era. It's just something I was interested in learning more about. So where we did differentiate with our podcast, the Caesar 1 and the Alexander Show, is in format and style, Now, um, partially because uh, it's myself and a co-host, Ray Harris. Uh, I'm an Aussie. He's an American. I'm a loudmouth, opinionated, um, uh, trying to think of a a, a polite way to describe myself here, person that's more than happy in the show to offend uh, uh, (laughs) wide swathes of people um, through my opinions. Ray is a very polite, genteel, Southerner from the US. But also we, we decided to do our shows with uh, a lot of humour, uh, a lot of swearing. Uh, we, I play, I, I introduce music a lot. We play pop songs and rock songs from the 60s and 70s during the History Podcast. And I think it's fairly, suffice, uh, it's fairly safe to say that there aren't too many History Podcasts that have all of those elements humor swearing music and deep deep history and it's a long format podcast by the way our shows typically run an hour and a half to two hours per episode and we do them weekly uh, so well actually we've we've cut them back to an hour now <laughs> they were running that length now it's more like uh, an hour to, to two hours typically so it's very very deep serious subject matter this is this isn't a, a, a Cliff Notes version, although we sometimes people refer to us as a Cliff Notes podcast. It's very, very deep, but we try to, we try to teach serious things, but make it entertaining as well. I think it's a lot easier, at least for me to uh, listen to a podcast, a serious podcast about a serious subject. If it's, if it's funny, if it's amusing, if it's engaging, if it's entertaining. So that's the first thing I wanted to drive home to you is make sure that you work really hard on making a unique product. Now, the second thing is uh, you have to, in order to get people to pay, uh, you you have to build a big pipeline. So the first show that we did this time around, the Caesar show, we made free. And the idea of making it free rather than uh, charging for it from the get-go was we wanted to build the biggest possible bucket of, of people that, you know, became familiar with us and our style and our approach and our personalities. And you can't do that if you're going to charge out the gate for a show. So the Caesar show has been free. And, you know, that's been relatively successful. We're quite often in the top 100 podcasts in iTunes in the UK, USA, Australia and Canada. We, we slip in and slip out, but, you know, we tend to be in the top 100 um, several times a month. Now, for a history podcast, um, that's, not, that's not a bad feat. For an amateur history podcast, if you look at most of the podcasts in the top 100, I'm not talking about the top 100 history podcasts, I'm talking about the top 100 overall, most of them are from big brands, big media brands or big personalities, celebrities. So to even get into the top 100 is, is um, you know, not a bad ambition. Uh, anyway, so we've been doing that. And then after we'd been running that for a few months, we started to ask people for donations. Hey, support us. We, we sort of talk a bit about the amount of effort and we do put a lot of effort in. That's something else I should talk about as well. Like, um, if you want people to pay, they have to be paying not just for the quality of the product, but they have to be, I, I think you have to ask them to, to give you money in recognition of your effort. Now with the, with our podcasts um I spend about 3 to 4 hours a night 5 nights a week preparing for my podcasts and then on the 7th day I rest. <laughs> uh no on the seventh, on the 6th day we record, I edit, I upload, I do all that kind of stuff. So I easily for each of our shows I easily put about 10 hours a week more probably more like 15 hours a week into the podcast which is an insane amount of effort. And I'm not I'm not and my co-host by the way Ray does something similar. So we each have about 10 books on Caesar. Let's let's talk about that one. Uh, when we're preparing our notes, we're going to do a 2-hour show on Caesar on Friday. So we have to, I have to read 10 books on Caesar, I'm, you know, different authors, ancient sources, modern sources. Uh, I, I'm com- I'm compiling my notes. We're not scripted, but we kind of know. Okay, we're going to go from this event to this event. Raygo does does his research. I go do my research. We come together, and then it's kind of a free form discussion. This happened, then that happened, and and I drill. I go into lots of tangents about you know all sorts of things, and then we'll 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 tell some dick jokes and uh, play a song. But there's a there's a there's a huge amount of work, and I think our audience. Understands. I mean, it's pretty obvious how much work goes into it and and, and they want us to continue. So it, when we're asking for money, it's not just pay me because I'm pretty. It's, it's you know, this takes in a huge amount of effort to put this together. And if you want us to keep doing it, I need to be able to justify to my spouse and Ray to his spouse why I'm not running my real business and why I'm not spending time with my family, uh, why I'm working every night to make this show for you. So anyway, uh, get back to point two. So you've got to build a really big audience. Before you can start to ask for money, I think you have to have a big group of people because only a small, here's the thing, only a small percentage you're going to pay. Now, Kevin Kelly, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kevin Kelly, but um, he was, I think, the original editor in chief of Wired magazine back in the uh, you know 90s. Now he's sort of, I don't know, he's on the border, I think, of TED, places like that, TED Talks. He's like a freelance futurist vision guy. Anyway, going back about seven, eight years ago or something, Kevin wrote a blog post called 1,000 True Fans, and his theory was that the business model for creators, artists and creators of the future was to find 1,000 people who will pay you for anything that you can produce. They'll be, they, they love and adore and connect with your creation so much that they uh, will be more than happy to part with five or ten or twenty bucks a month to get whatever it is that you produce they're just in simpatico with you you know they're not a casual listener they just they love you and I'm sure all of us can think of artists and creators whose work we feel that way about me i was I've always been a big Lou Reed fan Lou um sadly passed away a few years ago, but you know I said for years if Lou. Sent me an email uh, and said, Hey, just give me a credit card and I'll take, I want to, I'm going to take 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month off you, but I'm going to give you a new track once a month or a new album once a year, or whatever it is. I would have been like, Bitch, take my money, right? Because, you know, I had that kind of emotional connection with his work. And there's a bunch of artists and filmmakers and writers. That I, where I could say the same thing. So you want to become one of those people. So I guess what I'm saying is what you're looking for is the thousand true fans, the people who who are so emotionally connected with your output that they will happily give you money to keep doing what you do. Now, Kevin Kelly in his blog post, go look it up, Google it, somebody stick it in the comments section for me if you can, um, you know, thousand true fans by Kevin Kelly. Um, he says it might be... 500, it might be 5,000. The 1,000 is just a rough number, obviously, depending on, particularly in my situation with Ray, I'm sharing the money with Ray. Uh, so, you know, we probably need more than we would if it was just either of us uh, doing it by ourselves. If you've got a team, you want to share the money around. If you, and this is to generate a full-time income out of it, I guess we're saying. The other thing that Kevin Kelly talks about in this blog post is your ambition shouldn't be to be a millionaire. It should be to earn a reasonable income doing what you love to do. If that that sh- that is my ambition out of podcasting, I know it's raised as well. My uh, ambition uh, in terms of podcasting is if I can produce, if I can spend my days with podcasting as my job uh, and earn a reasonable income for that, where I can provide for my family and we can do a bit of traveling and we can do all the things that we would do if I was working. This, you know same as if I was working full time in a business or another job that 's my ambition not to make a million bucks a year it's to make you know a decent salary, whatever that is for you what you're usually, replace your current salary at your job let 's say that so if that 's your goal you 've got to find those thousand true fans now to find those you might need to start with a bucket of ten thousand or thirty thousand or a hundred thousand my My assumption when Ray and I got started on this a couple of years ago was. We would need to find 100,000 people who enjoyed our work to find the 1,000 true fans. So I was working on a 1% model. 1% of people who will pay you uh, on an ongoing basis to, to get more of what you do. And um, I think we've, you know, that's roughly been the, how the numbers have, have worked out for us. Again, I don't really know uh, how many people are listening to our Caesar show each month because even though we're on Libsyn and, and we use um, Blueberry as well to track listeners. You know, I've spoken to those guys, and the way they track the stats is is the best we've got, but it's still a bit fluffy. But, you know, there's there's somewhere between, I don't know, I'd say I'd guess 50 to 100,000 people listening to our show each month. Again, these aren't massive numbers. These aren't Mark Marin numbers. These aren't Kevin Smith numbers. These aren't Nerdist numbers. I understand that. That's cool. I'm not not trying to compete with those guys because they're in a completely different uh, game to what we're in. We're in, hey, make a salary. So, what we did then is we ran the Caesar Show for free for a year. after a few months, as we sort of got our feet underneath us, we started asking for donations and there's been a bunch of people that have um, that have uh, been generous enough to part with money uh, uh, on a monthly basis to support our efforts in doing the Caesar show. After a year of doing that, we launched our second show, which was the Alexander the Great Series. and I said from the beginning, okay. Caesar Show has been free. The Alexander the Great Show is going to be exactly the same format, same schedule, same timetable, same amount of work, but it's going to be subscriber only. We made the first episode for uh, free, but we said uh, from now on, if you want to listen, you're going to have to pay. No, no freebies. And we we created a subscription three subscription models. I think there's five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, and twenty bucks a month. And we said um, you're going to get the same. <laughs> whether it's uh you pay five or you pay 20 when we're, we're not providing different content but um it's just what can you afford you know if you can only afford five give us five if you can afford 20 give us 20 it, it's up to you um we love you all equally and so we've been doing that now since uh the beginning of this year and it's doing well you know we're they're on target uh, with, with where we wanted to be with the number of subscribers. It's generating money. And I didn't expect all of our Caesar listeners to come out, so I'm going for that 1,000 true fans. And uh, what else? Oh, so we have merch as well. You know, we have, um, you know, coffee cups, you know, and, and T-shirts and, and hats and posters and underwear, sex dolls. Like, okay, I'm kidding about the sex dolls, but that's something I'd like to get into. Um and, you know, we don't make any money out of the merch, quite honestly. Um, we we uh, uh, So let me see. So that's it. So the 1,000 True Fans. Now what our model is going to be is we're going to release a third series and a fourth series over the next six to 12 months. We're planning those at the moment, trying to figure out how, yeah, quite a markup on sex dolls, Ed, you're right. Particularly those Android ones like on that Humans TV show. I'm waiting for those to come in to Redbubble. Try to fit, figure out how to fit in the workload, but we will be doing uh, second and third series on different things. And, again, we're hoping that the same audience that is willing to pay for The Alexander Show will pay a bit more for the third and fourth series. I'm going to try and figure out how to bundle them all up into uh, one monthly payment so they're not, doing three, four, five monthly payments. Now, the tricky thing about all of this then, so that's the basic monetization model. If we can get advertisers, we'll add that, but the advertising is cream. This is really about the 1,000 true fans, Kevin Kelly model. That's where I've staked our future. And so far, it's working well. Um, Now, the biggest issue with all of this is how do you get their money? And then how do you limit the access to the shows uh, to the people who give you money? Now, It's not that easy to do. You know, when I got back into podcasting a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, well, somebody would have taken care of all of that by now. It'll be one click, boom, get the money, subscription models on the back end, limit the RSS feed to subscribers only. And I was very surprised to learn that it hadn't been done. I thought iTunes or or there'd be a WordPress plug in the Blueberry or somebody would have done. I was wrong. So I've had to cobble that together. Fortunately, I'm I'm a, a little bit technical, so I, I I was able to – it took me several months and a lot of work, but I was able to build a system, custom build a system that, for The Alexander Show in particular, limits the – you have to have an active subscription in order to get uh, access to the show, to the feed. And if you stop subscribing, your login to the feed no longer works. Now I, I don't have time on this show uh, to to talk you through that. I'm going to write a guide to it at some stage. Uh, I'm sort of halfway through writing a guide of all the different pieces that I had to plug in to make that work. You can you can get that done via Libsyn, but I think it's pretty expensive. It's you know their pro option I think is like we're talking 500 bucks a month, which is fine if you if you're already generating money or if you. Are you confident enough that you're going to be able to generate more than that through your subscription payments? But when you get started trying to get people to subscribe, you don't know if that's going to work or not. So we didn't go down that path. I cobbled it together myself, and it's working great. So now there's no need to you know give my hard-earned cash to Libsyn. But I would like to see an easier model. Um, and I've been talking to people at um, Amazon and, and Audible and places like that saying, well, I wish you guys would get off your asses and, and build this for the podcasting community. It should be a one-click deal. I'd be even happy for you to clip the ticket a little bit. Just make it cheap for me to get up and running and be able to take their money and, and limit access to the show. So there's that side of it too, which is kind of tricky. Um so what else did I want to tell you about monetizing it? Yeah, look, that's that's sort of the basic model. Um let me let me recap those. Have a you really unique product that people can't live without. Build a massive audience by making it for free for a while. And then uh once you've got that audience, go look start to do the subscription only model for new shows. But um you know you, you should only be looking for the the thousand true fans that tiny percentage that really 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 love you don't expect to get everyone to pay that's okay most even you know most of the people who like you and enjoy the show if they have to you know put their hand into their pocket they're not going to do it you know you have to try and create um oh so here's some other things I wanted to share with you too. one of the other things that we did um very early on was we realized that uh getting Positive reviews in iTunes was one way to build the the audience and to get people to check out the show. So, you know, getting back to basic marketing 101, if you want your customers or your audience in this case to do something for you, you have to create an incentive. It's one thing to say, hey, leave us a positive review on iTunes, but why? What's in it for them? Why should they do that? That's going to take minutes out of their day, and they're busy. If Just asking them to do it just because... Is a bit, a bit rude of you. So, what we did very early on is we said, go up into iTunes and leave us a positive review. And when we record our show next week, we'll pick our favorite review and we'll read it out on the show. And the winner will get a free coffee mug. We'll send you a coffee mug. And that has been a huge success uh, for us. We've, we've um, had, uh, you know, we've got hundreds of reviews in iTunes. Mostly positive. A few that hate me. I get a lot of hate mail. But, again, here, actually, let me, let me get back to the hate mail. But um, So create an incentive for people to leave you positive reviews is my point, of, whether it's on Facebook or iTunes or whatever. And, you know, we love reading out the reviews, some of the reviews. We, we say, you know, we'll give the prize to the cleverest or the funniest review. And our audience come up with some really, really clever, funny stuff. They're a lot smarter and funnier than I am, fortunately. Um, so that worked. And yes, it costs money to produce coffee mugs and to send them. Uh, you know, it costs 20 bucks in shipping. So, you know, it's costing us 25 bucks a review. And we had to fund that ourselves for a while until the, the donations or the subscriptions were enough to cover that. But, you know, and then we're investing that money back into marketing by sending out gifts and prizes. One of the other things we've done with the Alexander show, by the way, which is the premium show is we've made free subscriptions to students. I have a free coupon for students and unemployed people. You know, if if they're a student, I get them to email me with a photo of their student card and then I give them the free student coupon and just ask them to, you know, say something nice about us on Facebook or leave us an iTunes review. So, again, you know, I mean, you know, um, if people genuinely can't afford it because they're unemployed or they're a student, I want them to listen to the show. And I, I believe that down the track when their financial circumstances are a little bit better, some of them may, you know, you know, make it up to us and pay for the show then. I want to get back to the hate mail. We get a lot of hate mail. A lot, when I say a lot, you know, constant stream of hate mail. When I say we, I mostly mean me uh, because I I do talk about my political opinions and I talk about uh, 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 religion. In the context of the show, we're talking about, we're talking history and, and you know, I think that one of the reasons, the main reason to, to study ancient history is so you can try and figure out how to apply some of the the lessons from history to contemporary events. So we'll say we'll talk about the fall of the Roman Republic and then I'll talk about what's happening in the United States and the 1% and the political system today and Trump and bring it back to America's invasion of Iraq or or you know different contemporary events and that upsets some people. And they and you know early on in the first six months of the show I'd get emails and, and we'd get iTunes reviews telling me to stop talking about politics or stop talking about religion and my views on that. I came here to listen to the bad history. I don't want to hear about your political views or religious views. And, um, you know, Ray was a little bit, because he's a polite southern gentleman, my co-host Ray, that is, if you're just joining us, he was a little bit worried about that. Oh, maybe, maybe we should tone it down. We don't want to offend people. And I said, look, dude, you know, I'm making the show I want to make and there's an audience who does want to hear about that. They are interested, even if they don't agree with me. They, they're they interested in my views and my opinions and, and and his as well, although he tends not to have any. Um, but I said, you know, you can't – the big mistake is trying to please everyone. You're not going to please everyone. If I watered down the show to please the people that are bitching at us, it may not be as interesting to the people who enjoy – the tangents and the rants and the music and the opinions, you know, they they may tune out. So let's produce the show that we want to produce, that we're having fun with, that's enjoyable and entertaining to us. And you know, yeah, there's going to be some for the. You got to know who your audience is, I guess, is what I'm saying. Don't try to make everyone happy. Um, don't be worried about hate mail. And, and somebody I just saw in the comments said they love hate mail. Me too. I used to read out the hate mail um, on the show. I, I make fun. You send me hate mail, I'll read your comment out on the show and just make fun of you for. Uh... I like honestly, who who takes the time to jump into iTunes to write a hate screed about a free podcast? Like, what kind of issues? does that person need to have to take 5, 10, 15 minutes out of their day to complain about a free show? Like there's lots of podcasts that I check out that I don't like for a variety of reasons, usually because they're boring um, to me that doesn't mean they're going to be boring to the next person or usually because I don't like the style, but that's me. That's subjective. Just because I don't like something doesn't mean the next person won't like it. And I don't take the time and the energy to go, I don't like your show because it's boring or I disagreed with something you say. I go, okay, I just won't listen to it. I unsubscribe and I go listen to something else. So I think the people that take the time out to write hate mail, you know, they're you know, they're the crazies. And that's all right. Let the crazies be crazy. Make fun of them. Don't worry about it. But build the show that you want to listen to, that you're going to enjoy, and just believe that there will be an audience of people. Again, you're only looking for a thousand. You're not looking for a hundred thousand. You're not looking for a million. This is for the true fans, right? You're trying to find a thousand people that are simpatico with you, that are prepared to share the price of a cup of coffee, five bucks once a month, uh, uh, to spend a couple of hours with you in their ears. Uh, giving them something to laugh about, something to learn, something to keep them entertained. Well, listen, that's pretty much all I've got. Um, any questions, feel free to throw them in the uh, in the chat window here or if you want to jump on and, and chat with me live, I'm happy to do that too. I've been podcasting for 11 years um, with various levels of intensity. Uh, I feel like I've seen it all, I've done it all, I've tried it all, and um, i got to say, I'm very happy with how it's going. You know, I spent very quite a few years fairly disenchanted. But the um, last couple of years, it's been a hoot. We're having a huge amount of fun. We're making money. Uh, we've got an audience that loves what we do. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to share any of my experiences with you. Just click on the seat. Here we go. Socially, Nina. Where are you, Nina? Tell us about yourself. Where are you?
1: I'm in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: I've been to Atlanta, Georgia. It's very hot. Um, I was in the middle of summer. I had pancakes. No, I went to a Waffle House at like 4 o'clock in the morning, yes. had pancakes. That was good. That's the only good thing I remember about Atlanta.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of good things. When you come back,
0: I'll, I'll share some with you. And and a lot of kids running through like uh, water fountains and stuff in the middle of summer in, in the downtown somewhere, which was kind of cool. Anyway.
1: Well, I've been here for about a year and a half. I haven't seen that yet, but I believe it. Um, so I just have a couple of questions because I've been considering starting a podcast, and of course Blab came on and I'm in love with Blab. and I have all of these interviews and Q and A's and trainings on Blab. and I'm trying to figure out if I want to repurpose them for podcasts or if it has to be very clean cut intro, you know, same style. Just trying to see what your advice is as far as starting a blo- um, sorry starting a podcast.
0: Well again, I, I don't know how long you've been on the on this um, on my section, but I, I started off by saying that I think that the, the most important thing if you want to build a successful podcast is to have a very unique idea to figure out what you're going to do that is uh, different from anything substantially different from anything else that's out there. Have you worked that out yet? Can't figure out what it is that I want to do that's related to marketing and social media that would make it different. Yeah, well, I think that's where you need to start. Like, you know, there is a there's a hundred thousand uh, marketing, social media podcasts out there, and you know, quite frankly, if if somebody wants to listen to a podcast about marketing or social media, they've probably got a huge range of options right now. Why are they going to listen to you? Why are they going to listen to yours and not somebody else's? So, I think that's the question that you need to answer before you do anything else. And she's gone. But, oh no, you're still there? Nina? I think she left. No? I think she left. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Where are you hey, from? Tell me about yourself. Uh,
1: I'm from the middle of the Midwest. Uh, I'm in a little town just north of Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, called Kokomo. Ah. Kokomo, if you've ever heard the song, the, the Beach Boy song, yes. I
0: thought that was about Hawaii. The Beach Boys song, yeah, no,
1: yeah, but it oh, is. So you've got, got another different. I had something else that come. There we go. Now we're back. <laughs> I was doing two blabs <laughs> at once. Sorry,
0: and one Dif- of them jumped. Different Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, never, no, yeah, never, uh, we're we're northern. I have Indiana a three way blab. Ed. I'm sorry, what? don't have a three-way blab without uh using protection that's my no mind.
1: yeah well I think I think that's one thing I just learned so I've broken some hearts but here I am um I think uh and I got in about in fact I started watching yours and kind of ignored the other blab and I muted them and they jumped in uh <clears throat> unbeknownst to me that the mute went off um, i've I started uh and in, in i I've been doing it spot very spottily, but I started uh, it's been about four years ago, uh, on blog talk radio. I don't know if you're familiar with that platform. Um, yeah, yeah. And, um, I had a, and I haven't copywritten this. So I don't think anyone here will, will run off with it, but, uh, I had an idea similar. So I think similar to what you do only a little bit, a little bit of a twist to it. I took, uh, literature, uh, like classic literature, uh, Shakespeare, uh, Oscar Wilde, things like that, and I would read a little bit of it. Then I would apply it to particular situations, either politically or culturally, that were going on at the same time. And oh, I, right. I, I called it smart mouth, and it. Uh, I have a little logo that that uh, uh, with a big mouth that kind of. I think it was actually mine that I used as a model for that. <clears throat> but and I, it went it went a little ways. I had you know we uh, like kind of like blab right now. A lot of people, as things were first taking off. A lot of a lot of networking was done by the the people in Blog Talk themselves. They kind of we all kind of followed each other's show. And then I, I think I went back to and got my graduate degree, and I kind of let that drop. But so I'm I'm actually thinking about putting something like that together again. It's it's interesting that you talk about monetization because right now in the production world, like I, I do video production also, uh, and in the production world right now we've got uh, the Kickstarter type of Type of funding, which you might have gone over before, I I got into into what you were talking about, and GoFundMe and things like that. That seems to be be the the thing of the moment, and I think it's starting to kind of wear on people. So I think I, I asked one of the questions about your reach how how many how many people you think you have to reach to get that thousand that are really going. I mean, and I know you can't quantify that, maybe or maybe you can. I don't
0: know. Well, you know, I, as I, I think I said earlier, when we set off down this track, I assumed that I'd have to have a hundred thousand listeners to find the thousand. I was working mm-hmm. on a 1% model. If you can right. do better than that, great. You hit your target sooner. But I, I kind of just assumed, all right, I need, I need to build a product right. that will be of interest to a hundred thousand people to find my thousand. Uh, talking about the Kickstarter thing, we just recently finished the Julius Caesar series and, um, you know, we went out to our audience and said, "Well, we're not really sure what we should do at the end of this. Should we just finish and and go do something else? Should we finish and go back to our day jobs, or should we keep going with um, Augustus Caesar and and what mm-hmm. happens next?" And we got enough people came back and said, "I said, you know, uh, sort of hashtag um, yes, Augustus, if you want to do it." And and we got enough interest out of that that we did. I ended up saying, "Okay, well, listen." enough of you have said you wanted us to keep going. It's time to put your money where your mouth is. Uh, If you're not a a, a patron of the Caesar show, because it's a free show, but we do have donations and we call them patrons. I said, um, so we ran a a crowdfunding campaign, but I didn't use Kickstarter or GoFundMe. We just did it ourselves uh, using a WordPress plugin on the back of our site. And... um, You know, the thing with Kickstarter and those sorts of crowdfunding, we looked at all of those and Patreon and those sorts of tools. You know, I figured that anyone that's going to fund me to do a podcast already knows us anyway. They're already our audience, people who don't know us from Jack. Why are they going to pay us to do a podcast? So, I mean, the benefit of a Kickstarter or a Patreon is that they've got a bunch of people that are surfing through and they may stumble across your campaign and say, oh, yeah, hey, that sounds interesting. I might fund that because it's new Bluetooth headphones or it's a jetpack or whatever it is. But for a podcast, um, I think that the the people who are most likely to want to fund you in a crowdfunding campaign are the ones that already know who you are and enjoy your stuff. So I didn't want to part, you know, with the money. I think with those guys, you're paying them like 15 to 30 cents in the dollar just for the... For the privilege of using their platform, so we build our own platforms. Not that hard to do, yeah, and we really? we ran a campaign and it was very successful. We I think we pulled in about ten grand over about three or four weeks. So and I said, look, really, if you want us to keep going to do the next series, and you're not already a patron, now's the time to cough up again, giving them an incentive to put their hand in their pocket where they may not have been bothered before that because it's a free show. Yeah. And we raised another ten grand, which. You know, that's not enough to, you know, retire to the Mallorcas and spend the rest of our lives snorting cocaine off a hooker's backside, but you know, it's, it's enough okay. to, uh, give it you some, some to motivation
1: to brighten and do it off a trash can. But yeah, that's a, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, it's cut Coke, you know, but, it's not the good yeah. pure yeah, it's, yeah, stuff. Yeah. Some of that it's stuff cut. you
1: just kind of sweep up off the street after well, people it's, get it's
0: finished a, with it. Yeah. It's, it's 80% baby powder and a little bit of, uh, you know, baking well, soda. baby powder. Now, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Hey man, like, like, where do you think this white hair comes from? Yeah. there you go. Um, so, but you know, it, it, I'm not a big fan of the one-hit sort of uh, uh, deals either because, you know, we want to create an income out of this, which means I need to know there's money coming in every month if we're going to do this full-time. You know, I said earlier that our ambition is just to be full-time day job podcasters where I'm doing eight hours a day preparing or recording or editing the shows so to do that, I need to know there's money coming in every month. You know, the one-off thing is nice to get off the ground, but then you still want to have a model. I think where people are prepared to kick in money right. once a week or, or once a month
1: because you can't you can't be doing it. it's like here in America using you know, the PBS telephones every you know about every week just trying to trying to yeah. get enough money to keep the doors open. Yeah.
0: Huh. Yeah, or the yeah the the PBS model, like you know, it's our fun drive. This you know again, and you want to get a tote bag, and right. you know uh, you know the sort of the sort of thing that we do, like when when people sign up to be a patron or they sign up to be a subscriber of our subscriber only shows, um, they can do a one off donation, and we appreciate that. Um, and some people this is generous, like we have people that give us five hundred bucks one off donations, and then they do it every couple of months, mm-hmm. and then we have people that give us a dollar once off. Uh, but the the, the average, yeah. though, is $5 a month. The average, you know, we, we've given people a whole range of options just to see where they fall. The average is $5 a month. That's what people seem to be willing when given a range of options from $1 to $500 where most people f- fit. And that's great. So I, I can work, I can then do some modelling over that. All right. All right. If we're getting $5 a month, how many subscribers do we need for Ray and I both to earn a reasonable Salary and then we can start to build the, the numbers off of that
1: right now I think and I think what I sense from from listening to you, the, the the part that I did because uh, I have a lot of friends that do uh, Kindle uh, Kindle books uh, several and I've gotten a couple of books from them uh, about how how they put together their their packaging and their material how they'll give some out free in fact sometimes they'll send it to different people and let them review it uh, and, and and do kind of a previous type of thing. not, not quite like the Amazon reviews or some of the pod, or some of the iTunes reviews, but you know privately go to people, you know, they build this list, like you said of people that support them. Uh, the one guy I was uh, I, I'm friends with, he wants to build an email list of 10,000 people. And then he knows from that that he's going to, you know, once he comes out with something, uh, people are going to if if he sends that out to them say hey there's a new show or he's got a new book or whatever else, immediately they go I want that, and then he gives he gives them the chance to do the feedback like you're saying oh I like this I didn't like this, and then he can tailor he can tailor stuff directly to them. Uh, now you know in, in the model that you're doing I mean it, it, you know it's a little bit you can't quite take take that stuff back that you you said and redo the podcast but the idea the idea is the same is. You let the audience kind of drive drive not only the monetary stuff, but the, you know they can actually work in and and help tailor the content. So then you can you can reach more people that are like minded. I don't know if you if you if you're catching my drift on that.
0: Well, we don't really let them tailor the content. We get we allowed them to vote um, on whether or not we should do Augustus, but honestly, we were going to do it anyway. Oh um, well, yeah, yeah, that's it, usually it the never, case. Yeah. <laughs> never really any deal. With it. We yeah. just wanted to make sure that you know they they paid for it. Um, but you, you did bring up one good thing I wanted to, I forgot to mention before, was a mailing list. So the when I, so um, you probably missed the beginning part of the show, but I've been podcasting since 2004. I started the world's first podcast network back in 2005, and we built a big audience, but we didn't get their email addresses. It was a mm. big mistake. I was thinking, well, RSS, we don't need it. Big mistake. So then when I launched a new show in 2013, if I had had the 100,000 email addresses or 500,000 email addresses from 2006, 2007, it would have been a lot easier to get off the ground. So this time around, we've been trying to capture email addresses of our audience. Now, that, again, is a non-trivial exercise. How do you get people that are listening to you on an iPhone to give you their email address? What's the incentive? What's the upside? So one of the things we did with the Free Caesar series is we launched a VIP series early on where we were interviewing academics and historians and scholars But we said you have to sign up to get those episodes. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free, but it's in a separate feed, and you have to sign up. So we got their email addresses. That's right. So when we launched The Alexander Show, which was our subscriber show, we had a few thousand email addresses that we could say, hey, new series. If you haven't heard this week's episode of Caesar or you're a bit behind because people drop in and drop out, as you know, with podcasts, so we had their email address, and we could we, we don't email them often, but when we're launching a new show or we have new exciting piece of merch or a new campaign or whatever it is so that's another thing I think a lot of podcasters don't think through uh, uh, well enough is is how do I get an email list because you know you, you can't rely on everyone joining your Facebook page you can't rely on people listening to your show every week or every day. You need you need to have as many communication mediums with them as possible in order to increase your chances of getting through. Thanks for jumping in, Ed. I think it's about sure. time for me to hand over to GSM. Um,
1: I'm going to take off too. I'm, I've been watching this uh, most of the afternoon. A day it's uh, about ten, about eleven o'clock here in the U.S. So nice talking with you. Thank you, Cameron. And take care.
0: Yeah, you too. Good luck with your show. Ed.
1: Thanks. I'll let you know when I get it going. I got you. I got you right up here. So all right. See ya. Right.
0: Cheers. All right. Well, uh, that's me, folks. Um, I'm waiting for GSM to uh, come in. Uh, Now they're the next podcasters, Golden Spiral Media. Here they are.